Welcome back, welcome back. The 831 Podcast, episode 32. Um, again, not much to talk about in the way of housekeeping and stuff, really. Just thanks very much for listening to the ones that you've been listening to. Keep listening, please. Um, Jockey Sanson's gone down well. They're all going down really well. Hit up the YouTube as well. If you're listening on audio, please go to the YouTube. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Um, like the video. Maybe leave a message. It helps with our YouTube um, distribution. It means more people see the videos. So if you could just go there and maybe share it as well. Share amongst your friends. Any of these that you enjoy, share them amongst your friends. Um, it just helps. Yeah, it helps promote the podcast, which means that I get more time to do more podcasts and hopefully more guests. Um, I'm always looking for more guests, so please, no matter what you just anyone who you think would be interesting, send me ideas and I can speak to them. Or if you have someone, speak to them, and if they're up for it, let me know and we'll get them on. It's you know, we're all in lockdown, we've got plenty of time, let's make the most of it, and I'll try and get these guests on. As always, sponsorship wise, Trojan Nutrition, Trojan Fitness, forever sponsors of the podcast, Cloud Seller Limited, um. Uh, A3, of course, where I teach, Sweatbox, where I teach and train, Pedro Bassa, all these people, you know the score by now. Um, but yeah, without further ado, today, basically, today, episode 32, uh, Nicole Vignola, she's a, I think that's how you pronounce her last name, she's a neuroscientist uh, from Bristol, studying at Bristol University. Amazing, this was absolutely brilliant. Uh, somebody recommended I should speak to her because... I'm obviously, I, I'm into psychology a lot and I'm into neuroscience a lot. Um, and this, we spoke about this a month or so ago and we managed to get together today and do it. And amazing, I'm still smiling about this podcast now. I'm really over the moon with it. It was just, it was brilliant. It was fun. It was educational. It wasn't too heavy. It was just, yeah, it was absolutely brilliant. So I'm really proud of this one. Nicole's amazing to talk to. Super intelligent. Super nice. Really personable. So, Please hook her up, um, hook up with her, like share her content and stuff. Go and review her Instagram. It's well worth a, well worth a look. We talk about all sorts of things to do with psychology, neuroscience and stuff here. So I think you'll really enjoy it. I really enjoyed it. I'm still buzzing now. So yeah, please have a listen. Episode 32, um, Nickel Neuroscience. That's what this one's called. And please, in comments and stuff, let me know what you think. I absolutely love this one, so hopefully you did too. Nicole, thank you very much for joining me. Hey, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. Yourself? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Good. Um, so give a little introduction to the people who are going to be listening and watching, who you are, what your subject is, just introduce yourself basically. Cool. So hey, uh, my name is Nicole. I live in Bristol. Uh, that's how Wesley and I got to know each other. Um, yeah, so I am a, I'm studying neuroscience at the moment. I went back to university at the age of 27. Uh, so that was a little bit hard uh, because you have a certain way of living and then you have to kind of get rid of all of those things that you believe in and just focus on a university and then sometimes you know your friends ask you out and you have to like you know it's just and also like money you want to work so you want to earn a certain type of living and but then you also have to study so it's been a little bit challenging in that sense uh, but nonetheless really really fun really amazing uh, really interesting and then yeah so I um 
yeah, I'm a, I guess, mature student. <laughs> what, um, what sparked you, A, to want to go into to, um, higher education, but also what made you choose neuroscience? Is it something that you'd always been drawn to, or was there like a life event that happened? Ish, ish. So I, um, uh, what was the first question? Um, what made you want to do uh, any sort of, was it just because, so did you want to do neuroscience, so you had to do higher education, or were you looking to educate yourself? No, so I always knew I wanted to study, but, um, so I went to school in South Africa, I was born in Italy, moved to South Africa, and then I finished high school there, but because, um, you don't really get student funding in South Africa, I didn't ever think that I was going to study there, so I moved to England, not thinking I'm moving to study, uh, but then I realized when I was here that I um, I had to live in the country for five years before I could get a student loan because I'm Italian. Um, so um, I did that not thinking, oh, I've got to go and study. But I knew that I would at some point. I just I wasn't ready. I still wanted to, you know, travel and do loads of things. And I knew that the time would come. And then uh, one of my friends was chatting to me at the, at the gym in London. I used to work in London um, about a course that she was doing. It was like a bridge course to bridge because uh, she was a mature student as well um, saying that she was going into physiotherapy with it and I was like oh my god that's what I need I didn't know you could have you know do these things so um, I decided to do the foundation year which is like a pre-med course um, for people who wanted to go into medicine or science uh, which is what I did and then yeah I've always um, thought of doing either medicine and going into psychiatry um, or surgery that'd be great but um neuroscience i've always had a really keen interest for that i started reading um books and i've read this one book called um uh, the boy who was raised as a dog mm -hmm. and it was amazing and that kind of just changed my mind and everything because um yeah i just i really enjoyed the psychological side of uh you know the brain but then also the neuroscience side of the brain and i found that there's not that many people that kind of bring the two together yeah so i wanted to uh do neuroscience as my undergraduate and then potentially do psychology as my master's um which would then allow me to do a neuropsychology uh phd mm -hmm. um which is weird actually because you have to do psychology um you have to do psychology to get into a neuropsychology PhD. You'd think it would be the other way around. Yeah. Uh, but no, so I have to do it that way around. But uh, so that's one thing, neuroscience first, then a master's. Otherwise, I would have been just been able to do psychology straight into a PhD. So I'm taking an extra year there. Um, and yeah, I, so I always knew I wanted to. I just, I kind of just let things happen. And when it came to me, it came to me at the right time and I was ready to do it. And um, so that's why. And the reason why, I guess, is, well, my father uh, was schizophrenic and my mother remarried to an alcoholic. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, people will always look at addicts and go, oh, you know, um, an addict or whatever. But, you know, Casey, my stepfather, he was in the Rwanda genocide as a Navy SEAL. Uh, he was part of the um, Dutch Navy SEALs. And then he went undercover as a, um, uh, as a drug, drug uh, undercover cop. Uh, wow. so that, you know, I, need him. I need to speak to him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, but yeah. Um, so and that's and I was really interested by, you know, all this craziness and I thought there's always a reason why people are the way they are. You know, people you know, people don't just wake up and go, you know what, I'm gonna I'm gonna start drinking now and I'm gonna like ruin my life. Yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. it you know, things happen and I feel like I don't know enough about it to actually make a, a valid point, but I do think that, you know, no one really wakes up and goes, I'm gonna murder someone today. 
there's yeah. either a nurture problem or a nature problem and there's either something wrong you know on a neurological level and that's where the neuropsychology comes in is like there's something wrong but is it neurological or is it uh you know uh, something that happened over the years from perpetual abuse or yeah. uh, upbringing or whatever so those are my really keen interests uh, in neuroscience so like the de developmental psychology yeah. with children especially uh because we don't i never knew how important it was you know for a child's brain to develop until yeah. i started studying neuroscience and doing uh psychology so developmental psychology was one of my modules last year and i was like whoa uh kids are important man like i always knew that but <laughs> kids are special <laughs> yeah um and that's been proven through science as well which is what even amazed me even more so um you know kids you're you're born with the same amount of neurons as you would have in your adult life nothing mm -hmm. changes except the synaptic connections between the neurons so if you look at a child's brain and you look at an adult brain it will have the same amount of neurons uh but you'll see a lot more kind of jungle in the adult brain because the brain still has to develop um and children basically in your first zero to two so when you're born to two years old um, it's called your sensory motor stage of uh, developmental stage. It was uh, it came, well, a guy called Piaget came up with it. Um, all these stages of developmental psychology in children, or well, in everyone actually, because we're all children so, before we. So for for me, I'm massively into more more the psychology side of things. Obviously, from being yeah. an athlete, and uh, so uh, especially because I, I base jump, I paraglide, and stuff. So psychology and sports psychology is really important to me. Um, but then on the neuroscience level, I've done. You know, I, I'm sure you're going to talk and I'll be sat here dribbling like an ape. But there are subjects that, so like, um, I know about Piaget and uh, Vygotsky. So is it Vygotsky? Is that uh, he? Yeah. yeah, so I, I know a lot about their, uh, their, their two theories and um, I've read a lot of their sort of work and the de developmental stages of, of children and how important they are. So this is an area that really, really interests me. Love yeah. it. It's one that interests Yeah, so I have a daughter, she's now 19. Right. And um, I, I think, like I had her when I was young, I was 17 when I had my daughter. And this is one of the things that intrigues me now as I think of how she's turned out and the mistakes that were made uh, from myself, from my partner, being a split um, relationship, but of two. Like if you, if, lots of people are raised in a in a split uh, family, but, but we were split 18 year olds. So you've got two kids raising a kid who aren't right. even together so it's yeah so i think of all the things it may be contributed and then when i've looked into further uh further stuff with children like um toxic stress now yeah. the thing is whenever you put the word toxic in front of something now it gets dismissed by public or society like toxic toxic masculinity and stuff gets so abused that when you put toxic in front of anything people sort of shy away from it but yeah I yeah, if you can you can elaborate on this definitely. I think toxic stress and its links to even stuff like asthma and etc. I yeah. think it's so intriguing that toxic stress can have such an impact from a neuroscience level and then through physical as well. Yeah, so there's actually um, so that's another area of interest of mine is epigenetics. Yeah, and I just wrote a paper on epigenetics and the uh, impact that stress has on uh, people, 
children and not just stress, but also smoking, drinking, even the environment you're in. Um, there's, a, there's a twin theory. I don't know if you've heard of it. So you could have yes. two, two twins and they're born and one of them is really beautiful and the other one really isn't. Um, they're raised in the same home the same you know parents there's no abuse but the one who is more pretty will probably have more social interactions with other people and other children should probably be able to get things better and i know that that sounds crazy but it does happen yeah. uh, people are superficial unfortunately so, so what happens is the the less ugly one i'm going to put that in inverted commas because i don't believe anyone's ugly but uh the one that's less attractive will go through life maybe being more shy or they both potentially have uh the predisposition to be depressed uh, to it's in the genes so i don't know if you know how genes work maybe i should backtrack a little bit so every bit of dna in the body carries the same dna throughout but now you need to differentiate because a muscle dna or gene can't be the same as i don't know the heart Mm -hmm. So what happens is you get um, methyl groups that switch these this, this DNA sequence on and off where it needs to be on and off. So it can say, okay, this is a heart, this is um, this is a muscle, this is the brain, this is whatever. So you can have a predisposition for schizophrenia or Alzheimer's or depression. That's why there's a lot of um, schizophrenia cases that are uh, correlated to high levels of stress, toxic stress. Yeah. Um, because what happens is you can flick those things on and off where they shouldn't be on and off. So what happens is if both the girls have, a, you know, uh, um, carry the gene for depression, the one who endures more stress will more likely be able to switch that on and then become depressed. Yeah. And whereas the other one won't because she, she's never had to go through the stressful, you know, uh, encounters that the other one has it's not been proven there are other uh, research papers that do prove epigenetics that is a theory uh, but it's a really important one to take on board considering you know um, how everything affects us in life I think um, yeah. and how people can be either so uplifting to each other or so you know we can either put out the fire with the water or we can like, you know, drown someone with the water, Yeah, you know, and it's just how you behave. And um, I guess that's going into social, uh, social psychology. Well, I think so uh, because you touched on epigenetic, I mean, so my main interest through neuroscience sparked because my mum had MS. So yeah. my mum had MS. So I started to learn about um, neurological diseases and the, the fact that it was myelin. It was a big problem. And so I start, then I started to really start to look towards neuroscience a bit. And again, still, I'm very much in first grade, know very little, but yeah. <laughs> really interested, you know. Um, so then that's OK. That's one. That's a disease side of things. But then when I started to look and I realised that um, neuro, uh, lots of problems from epigenetics, toxic stress, etc. Then the fact that these things can be hereditary as well and yeah. can be passed down with, I think it was your paper that I read or something, a post of yours that you read about the sperm, the, uh, about stuff being passed down through sperm to other generations. Yeah. So then when you, when I hear things like that, you, you say that it's about the social side of things, but sometimes that's going to be inevitable, right? This is a question. That's going to be inevitable, right? If 
how are we going to expect the societal changes if through epigenetics we're passing down these problems um, through through generations? Yeah. Hard one to answer. I suppose yeah. it's how you approach stressful situations as well. Like my boyfriend and I were having this con uh, conversation the other day and he was saying how PTSD maybe necessarily isn't a bad thing. It's whether it goes on for a chronic period of time because people need to be put under stress to grow, to learn, to know how to deal with stress. That's why children don't deal with stress very well, but that's why when you're 50 and one of your friends dies, you will most probably deal with that much better than a child will deal with that because you've learned through the years how to get better at dealing with situations. So, um, yeah, I mean, and you can't compare stress either because, you know, my 10 out of 10 situation, maybe, you know, there was a period in my life where to me something happened and that's a 10 out of 10. You can't then say, well, because she went through something worse, what you've gone through is not that bad because to you, if you've gone through something that's maybe not as bad on the grand scale of things, on the grand scheme, in the grand scheme of things, um, but to you, it's still a 10 out of 10. Of course. Yeah, like situations, obviously my situation is going to be different. I'm going to value things differently. Yeah, so yeah. to put this into a sporting context, say, let's say when I'm paragliding, when I'm paragliding, I get a big collapse and my paraglider spins and I remain quite cool and calm. And to somebody else, immediately, it, yeah. if they want to go and land, they want it all to be over, they've had enough because the fear, the amygdala acts differently, the stress response is completely different. So... Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Situational um, experiences are going to make a massive difference. Yeah. Well, um, back to the epigenetics and then back to the child psychology. So with the epigenetics, they did a study and actually my computer crashed. I wanted to have it up so that I could give you the, the name of it. But um, they did a study on post-mortem hippocampus of people who had uh, endured what, suicide victims. What? Yeah. Uh, the ones who had endured child abuse showed epigenetic changes in the same place in the hippocampus and the ones that committed suicide but didn't have child abuse had other problems but they didn't have the epigenetic change that I mentioned which correlates how it could potentially you know have changed things in the system for you to become a certain way when you're older mm -hmm. That makes sense. So with the depression, yeah. so those kids could have been carrying, you know, genes for depression. And I'm almost certain that probably all of us have the ability to carry those genes, especially in the world we're living in now. But um, they all showed the same epigenetic change, which was pretty groundbreaking because it showed how something that can happen to you as a child, if not dealt with, can and will carry over into your adult life because everything you do as a child um, shapes you. Yeah. Yeah, I, uh, I, I, that, that is, uh, that I find amazing because I think if, if at any point there's going to be a socially acceptable neglect, it's yeah. going to be as an early child because yeah. I don't think people, I think when people hear about neglect and when you're saying neglect and, and when I use really, people are thinking of abandoned children or drunk parents or but neglect can simply be leaving your kid to play on the computer for four hours a day or not you know ignoring them when they're trying to talk to you because you're engaged in another conversation not being present being there but not present yeah exactly yeah um well yeah so back to piaget i mean um they you're when you're born to when you're two years old you have your sensory motor stage 
And that is literally everything that is built in the brain comes from the senses. So you'll see kids are touching things. They want to look at things and they see color and they go, okay, that's, let's process that. You know, so children that are neglected, their brains don't grow as much. And I actually did a post on that um, uh, a while back. I sent it to you. And that was done by a, a psychiatrist called uh, Dr. Bruce D. Perry. And he uh, actually did brain scans on a neglected three-year-old versus a normal three-year-old. And you could see how diminished the brain was. Yeah. And the neglected yeah, child... So that post, sorry to cut you off. That post that you, that you did post, the brains are very contrasting sizes as well as the internal development of the brain is different were, were the brains actually different sizes through growth or was it just the internal um the internal workings of the brains were not had not developed as well well probably both so what's probably happened is the neurons are there they're ready and i'll come back to that in a sec but they're ready to learn but if there's no synapses being made then there's no need for the head to grow you yeah. see, so the more synaptic uh, transmission there is, the more it's going to grow to a normal. So an actual physical, the actual physical differences in growth as well. Yeah, in both. Yeah. So uh, which was mind blowing. So, yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah, sensory motor stage. It's, you know, they take everything in. Um, so the brain um, is kind of like it has little allocations for everything. So you're born and it, the frontal cortex is, you know, for higher thinking. The hippocampus is for memory and etc etc but within those um uh, within the frontal lobe there are more specialized areas so language um you know heart, thinking emotion empathy love you know those those type of emotions as well so children that are neglected or abused um when that part of the brain doesn't uh, completely develop something else is going to take over because the brain is always going to want to be optimal so something else will take over Whatever it is, we don't know. It could be language, it could be maths. It might be crazy mathematicians. Sometimes it's disease or, you know. But what I'm trying to say is that when they are older, if they never felt love, if they never had someone touching them, that sensory information never came in. So that part of the brain never developed properly. So when they grow up, they might be able to learn the theory of love but they won't necessarily be able to innately feel love the way that someone like you and I would because we were nurtured when we had that sensory motor input. Um, and sensory motor means that you, you bring in the senses and then you create a, a motor output out of it, which is exactly what the eyes do, what the mouth does, what the hands do. And, um, so, yeah, that blew my mind when I read that because I was like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, people. So um, my, my uh, translation to that a little bit is, is I look at it more like sociopaths are yeah. not bred, they're developed. It's a yeah. sociopathic behavior is a learned behavior almost, or a lack of learning. Well, in, um, there was a case of this child who was um, adopted uh, from Russia by, I can't remember, I think it was an American family, because I remember reading he, was, he lived in New York. You're going to say, yeah, it's a cool, this is a cool story. Yeah, okay, so you've read that. So this, this kid, or this baby because it was an orphanage where it was just overloaded they didn't have enough people to deal with them so they would deal them with in terms of like okay feeding sleep this that change there was no kind of care and nurture and love so they never actually got held enough um and this baby got adopted at like before it was even two years old so he wouldn't even have been able to remember that and this family that adopted him he became a murderer and they couldn't understand why he was the way he was because you know, they'd given him a lot of love and he had a brother and he was, you know, fine. And 
everything was fine and they just couldn't understand where it went wrong and when he started seeing a psychiatrist they took it all the way back to when he was born and you know those parts of the brain just didn't develop correctly yeah yeah it's uh, it's crazy i think that's crazy because for so long medical the medical profession has tried to treat these things as if they're diseases or illnesses that you catch or that you you know that just come out of nowhere or you're born with that they can control when in reality if we can start to have a look at the psychological and social aspects of what development i think we're much more likely to not cure these problems prevent them which is going to be a lot better in the long run yeah 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 prevent them and then potentially even have better ways of dealing with them so children that are placed in loving homes um, after traumatic, well, children that um, are in loving homes after a traumatic event are normally much better at recovering than children who after a traumatic event aren't. So, you know, if I, or you say, you know, I'm in a loving home and something really bad happens to my family, if I'm loved by the people around me, then I will most likely be able to recover. Um, and they did that with some kids who were badly abused and then put in nurturing homes and by foster care and they and they thrived because it was how they dealt and again it comes back to how you deal with stress how you approach it how you try and get better from it because I'm not saying everyone needs to be abused you know but stress does help us grow and it's how you can change it around and I think that was the same thing with me growing up as you know with my stepfather instead of being like well he's an alcoholic it was more like why are you an alcoholic you know where is this coming from why you you know you have a lovely home and it's just it's it's, yeah so uh, so uh, I you may or may not uh, agree I I believe these um these uh instances manifest ourselves in two different ways or what well, multiple different ways but uh, if we look at the extremities yeah, well, yeah all the things that um all the things that the bad things like the alcoholism drug addicts um sociopathic killers all the things that are quite extreme end and then you go to the other end i think it's exactly the same thing but ingenious so when it comes to like um mozart or anyone who's considered a genius in something yeah. i think it's exactly the same um exactly the same yeah, yeah, thing happening I, but just I, know, I, I agree and i also agree that probably someone who is such a genius would wish to be a little bit more normal and be have better social interactions because you know maybe they can't interact with humans but that's why they're so you know um smart well i don't know if smart yeah geniuses yeah. Um, so yeah, no, I I totally agree with that statement completely. Um, yeah. Um, another reason uh, the neuroscience part and to nature nurture is I think what well, this is what we know of. But for example, do you remember Ted Bundy? Yeah. Uh, who went on and killed like all of America? But he uh, he had a great he had a great upbringing. Yeah, exactly. Fantastic yeah. upbringing. Nothing went wrong. So, you know, and that's like now this was there a brain lesion somewhere or um yeah. Uh, so that was that was really interesting and that's well, kind of why I'm like it's I mean a perceived a perceived good yes. and this is the yes. thing. So I mean um uh, I think basic neglect uh, will come down to opinion, but basic neglect could be the fact that 
you want your mother's attention every single day yeah. and you're not well, getting like it. You've got earlier. food, you've got money, you've got everything yeah. you want, yeah, but yeah. you have all these instances like you want your mother's attention or you want to, you see your friends out playing in the street every day and you're told you can't because you've got to watch out for, for paedophiles and then all this stuff can just... Yeah, 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 no, 100%, 100%. And that's, yeah, that's why I said, you know, as as we can see, he had yeah, yeah. thing, but... Um, yeah, I mean, people do suffer from crazy things, from brain lesions, something that they maybe bump their heads, you know, and then, you know, it has adverse effects. Um, I can't think of any, uh, you know, rigid uh, explanation. Um, so there was a guy, there was a guy in America who went on a killing spree, right? And he, he wrote a, a note, a suicide note, and he said, um, I'm, I know I'm going to do something bad. I want you to study my brain afterwards because I'm sure there's something wrong with me. And right. he went, shot a load of people yeah. and then so they did in the post-mortem in the autopsy they studied his brain and he had a like a tumor about the size of like a dime or something he had a tumor on on his brain i don't know whether it was on the hippocampus right, right. maybe yeah. on the hippocampus and uh, they had a tumor and they said 100 percent it would have been uh prep uh, causing pressure on the part of the brain responsible yeah. for anger and um frustration temper yeah. so yeah. I think which is uh, you know the amygdala you mentioned that earlier the yeah. amygdala the insula the insula is responsible for making you want to do things so it like sparks desire amongst other things but yeah so it, it, that could have come from that that the desire to want to hurt someone alongside the rage and the anger um you know coming from the amygdala so that's uh, yeah I'm I remember that guy's name now, but it's like a really famous, it's a really famous case in America. He just went yeah. on like a, a killing spree. Um, so what I'd like to, before we go on further, because like I'm, I'll get lost in this. I'll go on. <laughs> yes, <same>. um, <laughs> I, uh, what I want to cover is, so is the breakdown of understanding how neurological pathways work and stuff. Because people hear stuff like synapses and stuff and how they develop. And if I'm correct, the synapses should it should be considered as the gap between the, the gap between that's the link that makes yeah. yeah so i the way that i understand it and i'm going to put this out there so you can call me a fool and correct me no or, no no, uh, no, no you've actually impressed me this is great <laughs> oh, thanks um, so I, I think the best way that i've understood it is to think of uh, it like a tree root system right yeah. so the your brain is your brain and it's um a place where let's say you were to grab a ball with all these little like grooves in it that would be your brain it's not going to work unless the roots of the tree grow between those bits and they link everything up together those, those tree roots are the synapses yeah 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 so the way that it works is the when we learn we program the messages to come back they then go through the synapses to your brain. Your brain makes the link, and the more times you do that, the stronger the connection gets, and your yeah. brain learns to do those things more efficiently. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's that's it, and and uh, it's called long-term potentiation. Mm -hmm. So when you send a signal to another uh, another neuron, so your presynaptic neuron to the postsynaptic neuron, uh, that's pretty standard. Um, you the more you send that signal the better the post uh, synapse uh what did i just call it oh my god i've had a brain fart presynaptic neuron the yeah. presynaptic neuron uh becomes at receiving the information from the presynaptic neuron um so what it will start doing is it will start creating more receptors on that surface to receive better the information and that neuron is going to get better at sending the information 
so that's long-term potentiation and that's the same concept as positive thinking and and not just positive thinking but that's how I like to relate it back so if you constantly think negatively or you're constantly thinking about something in a certain way um, their brain is going to get better at sending those messages the way you've been sending them and the receiving neurons are just strengthening the connection between these thoughts so thoughts can strengthen and just the way that you know a basic um, needs can strengthen so basic you know love and uh, language you know and all those things can strengthen but the way we think and a memory the memory if you think about a memory long enough it's going to become a bigger you know more stronger memory that you can recall way better if you think about something a lot whereas if you just you know see a bird flying by that's a nice color you'll see it you'll think oh that's a nice bird if someone comes to you and says did you see a bird that was really pretty you'd be like oh yeah but you're not going to think about that all day long yeah exactly but yes. if something you see that catches your eye and you think about it long enough, long enough, long enough, it eventually goes from short-term memory to long-term memory because it's been potentiated yeah. enough. And then you'd be able to recall that much better. But if you also then have uh, another well, memory, so confusing because there's like semantic memory, episodic memory, but <laughs> I'm trying to keep it simple. But, um, you know, you could have a memory that you then forget about and that's still there. But because you've not thought about it a lot, it it's not as strong. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, it, make, it makes complete sense. I think yeah. you're doing really well because yeah. you you. I mean, I'm sure you could talk. You could talk like this at a level that all of your peers and people within the industry would be cool with. But you, so. now, <laughs> you now need to talk about it with someone who's had most of the intelligence punched out of their ears. So no, no, no. You're, doing, you're doing like you're doing brilliantly. Um, so uh, what I hear from that is that something like neural linguistic programming and NLP and stuff. That's the right reason that works so well is because visualization of the same physical process can be just as good because you're creating it just in visualization you're creating those um the the neurons to produce more so the synapses are, are there and the the other neurons are, are creating more receptors just by visualization of the same process um is that visualization of an object or is... oh, so let's say let's say i'm shooting basketballs free throws yeah. basketballs so let's say I do that 100 times a day. Cool. Yeah. But let's say I now visualize doing that 1,000 times a day, never using the uh, motor skill, like never using my muscular physical... Did you read my post? No, which post? No, okay. Yeah, carry on. So, so, um, so NLP, and there was a book called Psycho-Cybernetics by Maxwell Maltz that I read I years ago. I have to write that down. Psycho-Cybernetics. Yeah. Yeah, Maxwell Maltz. So I read these books years ago. So um, doing that process, like visualization of the actual thing that you know how to do physically, yeah, almost be as beneficial as the actual physical practice. Yeah. So I wrote um, I wrote a post on this. There was um, a guy. I can't remember his name. I actually wanted to research it before I came here so that I could be prepared. But then, yeah, computer drama. But um, <laughs> he did a study where he had three groups. Uh, one control group, so they did absolutely nothing. Group number one had to learn a five-finger piece on the piano. 
And group number two had to imagine that they were learning the five finger piece on the piano without actually doing it. They just had, they taught them the notes and they taught them how they would do it. And the guys who had to imagine it and the guys who had to do it had just about the same amount of brain activity on a brain imaging scan, which is exactly what you're saying. So, um, yeah, yeah. so the, that, the, the, the example that I used was, um, but it was, uh, I think it's in Max, it might be Maxwell Maltz's book. It could be in something like Outliers or something. Um, yeah. But it was an example of basketball teams. They took one group who were allowed to practice their normal amount of day. One group had to practice physically double the amount of day. And then they... Oh, sorry. That's because I'm an NHS responder, so they've just messaged me. Oh, right. Oh, lovely. Um, <laughs> um, so... Yeah, so one group practiced the same amount of day, one group practiced physically the, the double the amount of day, and one group practiced only visualization, but they weren't allowed to miss a basket. They had to make shot every single time, every single time. And I will use figures here that are just random, but they're there to represent the actual figures. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's say the ones who practice normal, theirs increased by 1% a day, because if you yeah. just practice a certain amount, you'll get better. The guys who practice double, they increased by, let's say, 12%. And the guys who did no practice whatsoever, visualization was something like 11%. So right. almost exactly the amount as the people who yeah. practiced double. Yeah, it's the so, same concept. Yeah, and so that stuck with me. And when you talk about these, um, that, the only reason I mention it is because that helped me to really sort of understand the way that the synapses and the neurological yeah. links yeah. work. So yeah. Yeah. people who listen to this who are fighters might find it easier. I mean, yeah. the way that you've said it is brilliant, and it's no, no, that's a good point because I was trying to find a way to s describe it in a in a more tangible way, and that was perfect. And I, I, I yeah, I've forgotten about the other um, paper. So thank you for bringing that up because that's it. It just kind of puts it a bit more into reality. How, yeah, and actually, you know, I think that when I'm doing ballet, so if I imagine myself doing ballet, everything's on the right leg. The left leg is just there. It kind of exists. <laughs> but when you put me on the bar, the same thing happens. My right leg, I can get that leg up there, but my left one is just like, Meh. and I'm almost certain that it's also yes, because I don't train it enough. And when I'm showing you something, I'm probably going to show you with my right leg. So my left leg's more balanced. My right leg is more nimble. I mean, that thing can go like that sometimes. <laughs> and um, yeah, and I do think that sometimes I try and imagine myself doing the bar on the left hand side and it doesn't feel as smooth in my brain as it does on the right hand side. I could yeah. I could picture the whole bar on the right hand side, no problem, but as soon as I have to picture myself doing it with the left leg, it almost feels a bit clanky, like uh <laughs> and I'm almost certain that it's connected. Um and I'm sure it is and Yeah, must be. There must be obviously the Yeah, well also the muscles are connected to the brain. So, you know, there's a lot of, you know, uh of that. So yeah, yeah. Because this is the next bit that I find really interesting, is that conversely, the negative faults can have a negative neurological effect. As much as the positive faults can have a positive effect, the negative can yeah. actually have a negative neurological impact. Yeah, I'm not surprised, yeah. That's, I, I mean, I find that absolutely crazy, that just by thinking negatively, you can get your body to respond negatively. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah, yeah. absolutely insane. Um, because I think what a lot of people maybe don't know, um, and I got, so I, I read a book years ago now, and it was a TV series, but I've never seen a TV series, by Dr. David Eagleman. It was called The Brain. Um, the book was really good. I'm not sure what the TV series was like. Um, and 
I completely, I had a complete brain fart, and I've lost exactly. Yeah, no, sometimes it happens to <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe, can't believe I lo- Oh yeah, so the brain. Um, the, what? Yeah, the, the brain is like what people don't understand is the brain is just sat in this dark room. It can't feel anything, hear anything, has no senses. Doesn't the brain does nothing but become a platform for all these neurons? Come in. Yeah, so yeah. there's like smell, taste. Um, color, everything is created by the connections between what your eyes see, how your hands, yeah. and the connection that that makes to the brain. Yeah. And I, that's, I saw a post from yours talking about um, people having operations on their brain, and uh, like that's why people are, don't have any anesthetic, anesthetic when they have operations yeah. on their. Well, they uh, put local on on the on the head for the skin yeah. and for you know the um, the layers and the bone. Um, but there's yeah they don't actually anesthetize the uh, the brain because you can't you if someone had to put their finger on your brain you wouldn't be able to feel that because you'd need another brain to the you know for the receptors to tell that brain that something's being touched. Yeah, that Which, I, I, I find that like that. Yeah, like, I, I found I that. Out. I was like, that. Well, that's obvious, but wow. Yeah, exactly. Like, when I hear when I first read that, it was one of those moments where I had to move the book away, and I'm like. Whoa! <laughs> yeah. Because you think of the brain like a muscle or like anything, yeah. you know? It's like you think it it's doing something. It's, and I mean, obviously, it's doing something. But yeah, but the way that I think of the brain now is just the the brain's just the platform. Everything yeah. you plug into it is the yeah. relevant is the relevant stuff. You know, we marvel yeah. at the brain, and people look over the neurological processes that are actually making that organ work. Yeah, well, that then that brings us back to you know your developmental stages, which is exactly what is happening. The brain takes things in and then it creates a, uh, a pathway, and then it it, it 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 grows the brain. Yeah, okay. you know, and then uh, yeah, because kids, for example, they don't know that they don't have an impact on the world. You know, when they're babies, they don't understand that if you remove an object out of sight, that it's still there. They have to learn that. They have to learn, you know, the meaning of things. So you take. A, you take you give them a wedding ring they're going to be like this is round this is gold this is pretty they will grow up to learn the meaning behind something like that um so yeah the brain is very very complex but uh also in some ways no it's still complex there's a certain reason people like you can go on and become neuroscientists and people like me are not going to be neuroscientists because it I is very swear, complex i reckon you could do it by the way you're talking and the the way you you feel about it i think you could definitely do it because I, I, I think just, if you want something bad enough you could definitely do it it's just i just I'm, i love it i'm in love with the like if you start talking to me about i mean i love psychology psychology more so because I think it's about that more about the inputs and the outputs yeah. from from the stuff that so that's more like the um the result of the the trauma or the result of the yeah. positivity yeah. in the brain. So I like the psychology because you have to deal with the manifestation of all those things. Yeah. So I love the psychology aspect, but because my mum obviously had MS, I do find it really interesting. And then when I started reading, I was just like, wow, this is like. A minefield. This can go on forever, you know. Well, that's why I want to put the two together because I do think they interlink a lot. And I, I actually like the psychology side of it more. Like sometimes I'm doing lab practicals where I have to like pipette things into other things, and I'm like, I don't give a shit. <laughs> 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 like, <laughs> 
so sometimes it does get a little bit too neurosciencey for me and I'm just like oh I hate science <laughs> like I don't hate science but I kind of hate science like all the background stuff of it like the research papers and the the experiments where you're like preparing things I want tangible things I want you know like the psychology side of things but then again that's such a silly thing for me to say because you still have to do that in psychology you still have to you know maybe not prepare things but still <laughs> you know, do you would probably as well if you started like immersing yourself in psychology just psychology when yeah. you start reading like um review studies and stuff you'd probably yeah. just be like ah, there's yeah. only so much of this like i want to put pet stuff into shit again yeah. Because you always want what you don't have. <laughs> I mean, I do. So I can do six jujitsu classes a week, and I think, yeah, at least I'm not getting punched in the face. And then as soon as I'm on like my tenth jujitsu class, I think I can't wait to get punched in the face. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's just yeah. like that. Yeah, definitely. So when so let's go back to the things that you're passionate about, the things that you love. I if you do, you think you can expand any more on epigenetics? Because I think that people we did cover that but i think if we can maybe expand it slightly because i think this is where people can really change their child's future even if they haven't got a kid now it's probably better if you don't have a kid because you're not trying to undo some mistakes um <laughs> but, um and listen this isn't i'm not i'm not being a preacher because we're all going to do it because we live in a world and a society where you some things are unavoidable but yeah. i think when it comes down to epigen epigenetics i think people don't realize that mild forms of neglect can manifest manifest themselves physically in the in the realms of uh, like heart problems, breathing problems, asthma, and then you get and this isn't even the real severe neglect or, or abuse we're talking about. Sometimes it's mild abuse and mild neglect that's manifesting itself that way. Yeah, well, they, um, there was another study done with um, mice and they actually traumatized these mice with a certain smell and that had um, an impact on the OLF-51. Uh, that's just the receptor name of the receptor that took in the smell. But um, they hadn't had offspring yet, but then they reproduced. And even the third generation, so that mice's grandchildren, Yes. still had a fear of the smell. So they were particularly afraid of it, but they were unsettled around it. The cortisol levels went up and they had never had been you know, put in a situation where the smell was around until the, you know, they did the experiments, which that blew my mind because I thought, okay, well, that mice is mine. Uh, you know, the, mice, the father of that mice's father <laughs> had been traumatized by something and now this one is being uh, you know, affected by it. So it, it, it kind of proves how things can be passed down through generations. I did a little bit on um, obesity as well. I can't remember exactly what I touched base on in that, but it, it, I'm pretty sure it came down to something like the people who had obese parents uh, were more likely to put on weight. Um, I need to get my facts straight on that one. I wrote the paper, so I should... <laughs> so you need to go down the word with yourself and just make sure that you're so right. you remember that part when i said to you that the memory is a very complex <laughs> system yeah that's it uh but yeah that 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 kind of blew my mind a little bit you know the the epigenetic changes in the guys that committed suicide and the epigenetic changes in the mice uh from something that they did they weren't even around so they you know it shows that um, you know, people's memories can potentially be passed down through DNA and the way you see things, the way you look at things, and maybe 
uh, even yeah, the things that you've gone through can potentially affect your definitely your offspring, potentially even their offspring. Yeah, which I mind blown, absolutely crazy. But I, because for me, the biggest takeaway for me is I I have a real problem with medication in children, especially around things like ADHD and behavior yeah, problems, which aren't they were never as bad in the UK, but they're now getting to the point where we're starting to become a bit more like America, and we are like medicating kids. And I think that um, a lot of the time you're you're medicating children um, to to limit the effects of something for now and basically you're just putting a plaster over something. Yes, I was going to say that you're just putting yeah. a plaster in it. You're not actually yeah. sorting out the problem. Exactly. So when you become uh, adolescents or even adults and they suddenly think, well, I don't, this isn't, I don't need this medication. When the medication's gone, they then think they depend on the medication as an adult because they don't, they don't know the problems that it was that they were actually suppressing just for the medication. And also, they probably have grown up with this label to say, you've got ADHD, so now they've, grown, they've gone their whole life believing that they're a certain type of person that needs to be you know, treated a certain type of way. And then they realize that maybe that isn't the case and they needed to sort out this problem. And then that would have been, you know, um, uh, I'm trying to think. I read a paper, not literally a week ago, I think, this woman, this, this woman had had a child but she had grown up in the system and in, in foster care so she didn't really know much about love and affection so when she had a daughter that that kid i wrote it down actually because uh, i wanted to bring up some hard facts yeah she weighed 26 pounds at the age of four and this kid could just not put on any weight and like the mother would feed her you know she wasn't neglecting her but I guess she was emotionally, like you said, um, you know, even though she was still nurturing and giving her the things, because she didn't know how to feel love, she didn't know how to pass that love on to her daughter. So she was four years old at 26 pounds, what's that, like 10 kilograms? That's, yeah. I don't know how much kids are meant to weigh, but that sounds like it's not okay. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, and they went through all these, like, a plethora of tests to figure out what was wrong with her digestive system, what was wrong with her, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, she ended up going to a psychiatrist who took down the history of the mother and then started putting these things together. And one, they started doing work with her regarding love and affection and putting her in, like, uh, specific classes that would help her socialize with children and then be in a, in a nurturing environment. Even though her mother wasn't abusing her, the body just couldn't function and it couldn't do the things that it needed to do. So there were pathways in the brain that didn't develop properly to tell the body to, to, to grow. And it was hindering not only her psychology, her psyche, but also her, her physical um, anatomy. Yeah. That's which is in like, again, absolutely crazy that someone who's not particularly being neglected or even, yeah. I mean, they're being, they're just not getting the, the love that other children are getting just because that yeah. parent doesn't realise what the love... So damage from a previous is being yeah. passed down. And this time, I guess, being passed down, not so much even in the neurological, being passed down in the in the physical and emotional sense. Yeah. Having the same impact. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I find that... I, I, again, I'm, like, I find that... I find it really believable, but at the same time, it's unbelievable. No? I, yeah. I hear that, that. I do find it shocking. I mean, I... I this sounds crazy and one day i said this out of anger and i said it to my boyfriend i was like people should go through 
uh, a course before they're allowed to have children. I agree. <laughs> Which I know it sounds like one of those, like I'm being one of those marks, like people need to be educated, but people I think don't realize how much impact they have on, on their children uh, because they don't know how much impact they've had on their, their parents had on them. Um, yeah. Or let alone even think about science or neuroscience or psychology or even being able to put things together. I mean, we've just put so many things together with other things in, in this whole chat that we've had that other people don't do they don't correlate anything they don't they just see what's in front of them and probably don't even ponder on it for more than five minutes before oh, they do that, something else. are you are you talking about in the in society or within the field or within each field of uh in society, yeah, yeah, in, society in the field but mostly in society that like you know they don't yeah, I don't think there's enough um, education on impact. Yeah, so I, I think this is that pro-choice thing about abortions and stuff that I I don't... So, I, you know, you should... Abort, abortion should, it should be available, it should be there, because you may have a promiscuous young teenage girl that's suffering from all the problems from when she was a child... Yeah, who's, that's manifested itself in being promiscuous because she seeks the love, she seeks the attention. That attention, she's chosen to put it out there by drawing attraction from boys, and she gets pregnant. Now, what you're you're going to force that person to have a child, yeah. and then what what do you think the future is for the child that's going to come from that? So I think this is where the ignorance comes in from people. They yeah. see everything is so black and white, yeah. and they don't look deeper and think hang on a minute what the the, the knock-on effect of this mother having the one child was that this child is now grown up and acted promiscuously what yeah. would the knock-on effect be for the third genera generation yeah 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 so i think this is the the stupidity of how it gets so what like one track mind yeah 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 well also the brain has a, a thing called mirror neurons that's why if you smile at a baby the baby will smile back at you because it picks up on the mother and everything that's going on around them um and it's the same with me and you if i start smiling now you're probably going to start smiling if i'm pulling a sad face you're definitely not going to smile and if you do you're a bad person <laughs> but uh you know there are mirror neurons and on top of that the brain um uh it kind of makes like memory templates of everything so if you're walking down the street and you see a car driving down on the left hand side it doesn't even reach your higher, cortex, uh, your higher cortex, your higher senses. It, it just goes directly to the cerebellum and goes, okay, does that match with what we've seen before? Yes, it does. There's nothing wrong with that car. Go. If there's a car driving on the right-hand side of the road, the wrong way around for us in England, I'm in, uh, I'm in Portugal now, so actually this doesn't make much sense to me, but <laughs> to you guys, the car's driving on the wrong hand side of the road, the brain is going to be like, no, there's something wrong here because it doesn't match that memory template. Yeah. So your brain is doing that all day long. Like you, like the amount of energy we use on a daily basis without us even knowing it because we have autonomic senses and autonomic functions. That brain is taking things and, you know, checking and checking and checking. Is this normal? Is this normal? It doesn't even reach your high, you know, um, the, the frontal lobe. When something goes wrong, it does. And that's when you're like, oh, alert, there's something wrong here. Yeah. And that's the same thing with behavior is that, you know, if children that are either sexually abused, they will probably grow up to be 
not always, I don't want to generalize, but they will probably grow up to be prostitutes. And if yeah. they do, it's because that memory temp template's a little bit fuzzy. It's like or, it's okay. or abusers or abusers themselves. High percentage yes. of people who have been because abused. That's what they know. Exactly. That's yeah. the memory template that the brain has created for them. And yeah. that's the same thing with kids. So you 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 made the example of the child who was abused or uh, promiscuous. Yeah, yeah, that kid's gonna see what's going on in the mother and think that that's potentially normal. Um, and, and, and yeah, the brain is primitive. And a lot, of, so. a lot of kids exaggerate their, their parents' behaviour yeah. because they, we inherently, we want to be a better better version of what we grow up to because that's how that's how evolution works. That's just, that's how everybody should be. Um, if you, you know, you should be looking to, to better your, your previous generation or evolution is not working. So if you see a mother that's promiscuous or aggressive or generally when you grow up, and I say generally, I'm not. I have no percentage figure to put on this, so yeah. I am going to get a term. Um, but I'm going to use the word generally because I've done it now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so generally, the people will grow. The uh, the offspring will grow up to be more aggressive, more promiscuous, more yeah. because yeah. they every generation wants to be better than the previous generation because that's natural evolution of the species. Yeah. So that brings me back to also why I wanted to study neuroscience, because I want to know why. Who's someone like, I don't know, take person A who went through something really traumatic, maybe their parents committed suicide, and then you take person B who had a nice upbringing, but maybe their father was a little bit absent, but now the person B, who didn't have such a severe traumatic childhood, grows up to be an alcoholic. But that child who had gone through all that trauma doesn't. And I want to know why do some people come out of experiences okay and why do other people's not and sometimes they're not correlated to the level of stress that they've endured yeah so Absolutely. so sometimes there's a lot more uh social input and stuff that needs to be uh brought in as well as opposed to just stress being linked and i think so what you're what you're saying is that you want to do you want to merge the things together and not make it so secular. It doesn't have to just be neuroscience. It doesn't have to just be psychology. It doesn't have to be both of them. It could be um, sociology. It can be an experiment. Yeah. Genetics. <laughs> genetics, <laughs> yeah. And, you know, a different field of studying. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, I think that's the, I think you have a very, uh, I think the way you're looking at, I think it's probably a good thing as well that you decided to go into education when you did because, You've probably, if you would have gone off the back of, say, you're 17, you're off the back of what you've experienced from your stepdad, etc. You're going to carry a lot of emotional weight in with you, and you're going to approach the situation in one way, and then probably maybe get funneled into yeah. following something. But when you've yeah. been a little bit older and you've been able to experiment, I'm not saying you have, but with drugs, with alcohol, with um, emotional relationships, sexual relationships, you have a lot more stuff to draw on. And then so yeah. the time you get to 27, you're like, I want to do this. Yeah. When you start doing it, then when you start seeing how broad it can be, you're like, I want to do this, this, and this, and I want to make this work. And I think that's a great thing that you yeah. like Because we, I think we, we force our kids into choosing what they want to be, or we force kids into choosing what they want to be, or how they want to be, way too young. Like, way yeah. too young, you know? Like, yeah, what, agreed. What you 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 say about studying kids and the the effects? What age do you think um, those effects will stop having a big impact? Do you think we're talking by this age of say five, the damage is done, or it's continually done up until X amount of time? Um, I think 
it will always, it can always not be changed but I think there's uh, many ways of looking at a situation so um, George's mother is a psychologist and we were well we get into these crazy conversations sometimes because <laughs> we had a neuroscientist and a psychologist in the house um, but and I was saying how with what happened what, what happened to me um, you can look at it positively or you can look at it negatively so I think if you can teach someone uh, perhaps a theory that I've, we've just been talking about and 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 let them understand why things happen maybe not letting them you know letting them understand that what happened isn't because of them or what happened is teaching them that maybe they're aggressor the, the the person that was you know inflicting trauma um you know maybe trying to let them understand that they were going through something um, so I don't, I don't know. It's a broad question because I think yes, to some extent, the the damage is done. Like that kid who was adopted, and he didn't even know that that had happened to him. Um, so I think up to a certain extent, if um, I think in your sensory motor stage, the, the the beginning to when you're two years old, there's a lot of um, sensory input, and I think that's really important to not mess up. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it's hard to say, but I feel like maybe if you knew about it, maybe if you knew that that's why the kid was going to become, you know, um, a sociopath and murder someone and not feel any pain towards it. Um, and you knew that he had you know, gone through that stage where he didn't have love. If you knew that you could fix that, then maybe there would be a way to. I don't know. It's a broad question. Yeah, it's tough, right? Because I feel like you and I, you and I would talk and hypothesize for hours and hours about that subject. Yeah. Um, I think, I think you, if you know things, you probably have a better chance of surviving, and that I think falls in any category because if the more you know, um, or try and know, or understand, or think about trying to understand then you have a better chance of understanding where other people are coming from understanding yourself um that's obviously where like meditation comes in and um just being in touch but i think that comes from knowing and i think if you know what happened why it happened and reasons why whatever these neurological changes happen then i think you could potentially uh yeah yeah. survive learn thrive i don't know what you want to call it yeah i think uh, uh, i think also what what you're probably demonstrating as well is the lack of research um yeah. in the field yeah over a long period of time so like people have wanted to say study serial killers because they want to know about serial killers and then the more they sort of study serial killers and sociopaths they realize that these people, a lot of the time, get no feeling out of what they do. They don't get excited by it. They don't get, it's like, how did you feel? And they're like, I didn't feel anything. And it's not, and, and I not think. that, you have to follow that, that serial killer from, say, if you're doing it from when he's a child to when he's older, you have to follow that through for how many years and how many variables and how many implications are there in a study like that when you have to make sure that that person is still in contact with you or that you can still study them or, but also, it's um also it's the thing of 
so uh, this is me i have no idea about the advancement of neuroscience no idea no idea about the advancement of epigenetics i don't know, know anything about that i read books but i don't know the history I don't think scientists, scientists do either to be honest yeah, so, I don't know what's going on <laughs> so for me i think if you've got say we'll use ted bundy as the example just because yeah. he came up earlier so we've got ted bundy he commits all these crimes he gets caught as ted bundy people start to study him they look at ted bundy and they look at all the things that go wrong but a lot of the time, I feel like these people are going to study Ted Bundy from the moment Ted Bundy can demonstrate a personality, maybe, say, three or four. So that's when he can start to demonstrate traits from these. So they'll say, well, OK, well, let's look how he behaved in nursery school. And part of me wants to say, you've missed the biggest area. Like the, yeah. the bit you're not studying is the bit you yeah. can't study because you've got no way of doing. But that well, was think, the most important bit. Well, I think that that's what that... Dr. Bruce D. Perry did in that book is that he showed how important something that um, happened when a baby was zero to two years old was so important, uh, but everyone overlooked it because they thought, well, he's not going to remember that. You're a child. You probably, you know, um, uh, yeah. And that brings us full circle. And that's if you know, you can change. And if you educate people, they can change how they bring up their children. Um, yeah, you know, I feel like a bit of a hypocrite because I've never had a child. So. Oh, no, I think you're, like, I would say you're best placed to speak on this over a mass percentage of people who actually do have children. Right. Because lots of people probably have children and have no, they, they raise them and don't even think that it's, lots of people have kids, I've seen, lots of people have kids. And it's an, an accessory. It's like yeah, having yeah. a puppy or it's like having a... Yeah, or to get benefits. That's yeah, all sorts of stuff, um, yeah. And yeah, and they just think that they, they're just there and they can control them. That's what annoys me as well. When a parent goes, because I said so, that yeah. really grates my skin because children have a lot, a lot, you know, they, they don't, and parents just push them down like that by not even giving them a personality or allowing them to be in that again, brings us back to when you said that maybe they just seek an attention from their mother by something so simple as just listen to me. Yeah, like to, to be an authoritarian, an authoritarian should come with like a respect. It shouldn't be, I'm older than you, I'm your parent, you do as you're told. You should set an example and explain why you are the authoritarian. And then that never needs to come into question because it's not because I said so. It's like, well, and what, have yeah. I got to go through life now that everyone who tells me to do something, I have to Yeah, I'm just like, okay, yes, man, now. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Of another area that you may not have, and feel free to say, I've not really looked at it, it's not really something I've thought about. Um, I have, on a few of these podcasts before, I've spoke openly about my disdain for the curriculum, uh, for the education system, curriculum-based education. Um, yeah. And I think that basing our child's, um, basing through society and through education rewarding people and telling them how well they how good they are how much of an achievement they make based on a curriculum i think is massively flawed and i don't think enough time is spent on individual development of personality and stuff you know yeah, I, I agree because we measure um your maths for example so greatly compared to their personality or yeah other things so um no, I totally agree with that. I think I don't think that we should be doing that. Uh, George and I were talking about a school recently um, about where kids get they get scaffolded. I'm not, I don't know exactly what it was called. I have to ask them inside somewhere, but um, where they scaffold their beliefs and they help them 
learn things, but they don't actually interject that much, um, which is supposedly meant to have children thriving and learning how to be in the world because we're teaching you, uh, children, we're teaching children maths, English, science, whatever, but then you put them in the big bad world and they're like, I don't know how to function. Yeah. And that's the same thing I saw when I went to university. I mean, I remember on my first day, there was this girl who was trying to get a drink out of a vending machine. And we were clearly in the same group because we just come out of the lecture theater. Mm-hmm. And I said to her, um, oh, do you want a pound? And she just was like, blah, blah. I was like, do you want a pound? And she was like, she just didn't answer me. And I was like, I'm fucking talking to you. Yeah. But it's not that hard to be like, confident enough to say yes or no yeah. and also to give someone an answer but I think that because children are on their phone so much and this is going off another tangent they don't really know how to converse anymore with people and how to be in real situations I think even young adults were seeing that now I think so um, Go if I go back to when I would say 17, 18, 19 going to nightclubs Guys would talk to girls. Girls would talk to guys. Now I see, because I was a doorman for so long, now I see guys <laughs> talk to girls. And, like, you can see girls are almost like, oh, what do I do? Someone spoke to me. Like, and it's almost like they want to say, uh, take my Snapchat and message me. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can be someone behind my phone, but I haven't learned how to be me. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you think about it in a conversation, there's, I think there's something like 7% is words. Uh, and then whatever, I think it's 21% is tone and the rest is body language. Um, so if you think about it, people are talking to each other on a phone. I don't think you only get 7% of the conversation because that's not true because you can actually pick up tone and what some kind of body language through messages. But ch- people are talking through these devices where you're only typing words. So the rest of it is forgotten. And, you know, you see and I do it as well. I go, ha ha ha, that's hilarious. But I like I'm not actually laughing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So context is massively lost when it get, when it's in a written format, and then you miss that. Like language is beautiful. Like it's one of the most like Shakespeare and these people wrote about language. It's yeah. beautiful. How are we neglecting one of the most beautiful things that's been created over thousands of years? We're neglecting it to all put BRB and LOL. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, they just don't mean anything. It's like, come on, like, where's the personality gone? So for me, like, so my thing is I don't believe in talent. This is my thing. I don't believe in talent. There's lots of books been written, the talent code, etc. Um, and people are uh, like, oh, well, you can't say that everyone has the potential to be the same as everyone else. And I'm like, well, I can, but it, you're, you're looking at it too broadly. Now, I can't be LeBron James because I'm not seven foot. Um, my ability to uh, athletically perform like him is obviously very different. So, yes. But what you will find is LeBron James wasn't born to be a basketball player. No, of course. LeBron James was born with attributes which will suit a certain group of things. And there might be 35 things, let's say. It could be anything athletic. Yeah, it could be anything athletic. It could be many different things. But his attributes suit that then when you put together his upbringing the way that he was brought up he was okay that's the best upbringing he was on the streets a lot playing battle but his parents always supported him to do well in school now you can be a great basketball player if you don't do well in school you don't make the team because that's how it works in america you might be held back as well so i look at it as every single person 
in the world is born with the same ability to achieve greatness within their attributes. Yeah. Now, this is where Vygotsky comes back into it. Is that he's saying that you, um, you're born and you have the, this immediate circle of people who influence you. Yeah. Your family. And they're the first people to influence you. Then you have this like outer wave of the people who influence yeah. you who very much of the time we don't think of like you know your friends and stuff how much influence are they having and i'm talking at an early age again kids like really yeah, yeah. kids you know uh preschool kids that and then you get the the next wave which then includes society and stuff well what we've done i think personally is we've brought that third wave in closer, in closer by giving Great. like ipads and tv and stuff you know and i think that until we catch up we can't keep relying on psychologists and doctors to figure this out. I think society, as a parent, we need to... Yeah, yeah, and people need to as well. And hopefully by having conversations like this, people will, you know, open up a little bit more and realise. And I think that it is steering towards that direction, I hope. I think maybe I'm living in my own little bubble where people are starting to become a little bit more educated on the impacts of social media and social, and like you said, that third way that shouldn't really have that much of an impact on you now has a direct impact on you. Um, and, uh, yeah, and I think on top of that, the, the phones that, and then, like you said, school, who merit you on good behaviour and good, uh, you know, good grades and that, so don't really look at anything else. We're shaping children not to be fuck-ups, excuse my language, but to, to have problems in the world where they have to figure things out for themselves, which can be a positive thing, but I feel like people need to change so that society can change, so that our children can, you know, thrive without having to go through all these obstacles. And it's almost like, did I figure it out, flick, or did I not figure it out? And I feel like the ones that didn't figure out are still taking selfies and posting a photo of themselves every day on Instagram. Yeah. I have a problem with girls who pout and will like, and, and that's, and you look at their Instagram and that's all they've got on their Instagram. I'm like, babe. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because <laughs> there are so many books in the world and there is a freaking like whole universe out there yeah. and you just decided to pout like that and then yeah. and then on top of that because of the quarantine we're all self-timering now as well we're rewarding this behavior now because we're making these people millionaires and calling them influencers yeah, yeah, well, yeah. You're not, yeah. if you're influencing something's gone wrong if this is what is influencing the next generation you're idolizing those people but then there are people who don't have that many followers who are doing the same thing for what? Because maybe they have one person who's looking at their Instagram and they want that one person to see how pretty yeah. they are. Or And, you know, we, we know you're pretty. You don't have to. Yeah. Beauty doesn't need to um, seek for attention, I think. And, you know, and and I think I hope that the followers that see this don't think that they are a lot of post photos of themselves. That's not what I'm saying, because, you know, um, and I think athletic things are great. I mean, I have um, my ballet teacher. She's always posting. Um, like her handstands and I'm like just keep posting more of that stuff because that's inspiring yeah. and it's amazing but I do I do have a little bit of a problem and maybe I'm being a bit narrow-minded with people who just post photos of themselves but in an like a narcissistic I need attention yeah. so listen I, one one of my favorite posts from yours you ever did like I get I'm like uh, intrigued and obsessed by your ballet stuff as well like when you were trying to um get your extension you were talking about your extension the other day like okay. I'll look at that picture and analyze where your leg is and stuff. And I love that because 
anyone who's doing what you're doing, that doesn't come from you having to go at ballet. That comes from a passion and an obsession with ballet. For, for yeah. uh, uh, I don't know how long you've done ballet, but so that comes from a passion. And so I'm a sucker for anyone who's passionate about anything. That's something, and, yeah. Exactly. I think that's what it is. It's like, are you passionate about what you're doing? And are you, th like, is that selfie? Is that what you're passionate about? You know, and if you are, then maybe you need to take a look. But the thing is, we can't blame people because that is just the way society goes. If you've got loads of photos of yourself, you're more likely going to have um, more followers. And then the more followers you have, the more money you're going to make because now you can post a photo with that outfit from Misguided and you get paid for it. So it's like the more people on your back and saying, keep doing what you're doing, keep doing what yeah. you're doing. Yeah, well, you get the likes, you get the likes. That's another thing, it's like the little like button. The yeah, likes, the comments, the, it's all, yeah, it all feeds back into, um, yeah, I, I think it comes from insecurity and um, I feel like I wrote that post recently on, uh, did you read it, Voyager 1 and 2? It's a spaceship. Um, yes, I did, the one, the golden record. Yes. Yeah, I'd heard of the golden record before and what I wanted to do was, because another thing that massively interests me is space and stuff, so uh, yeah. what, um, when you push the golden record... I feel I, like we were destined to be friends and have this <laughs> conversation. <laughs> yeah. Must be. Um, but yeah, I thought uh, the bit that you posted, like, so the conceptual things about space travel and time and distance are what get me. They're the things that, because I think anyone can quantify it because you can't quantify it because it's so massive. And then the best bit of that whole post was when you said in that, if you resisted blinking, you still wouldn't be able to see it. Yeah, yeah. Anyone can quantify that. Anyone can say, well, what can I see? And I could run my hand past, I still saw it. How much faster yeah, That's how thick it is. Yeah. And for me, uh, relativity is a big interest of mine as well, because a thing, and, and then this correlates back to neuroscience or psychology or social psychology, whatever you want to think of, but um, relativity, how things in front of you are relative, and then we forget about all these things that are going on in the planet, and then you're obsessing over girls over Instagram and their bikinis thinking, oh, I wish I was a little bit slimmer, I wish I was a little bit more, I wish my extension was a bit higher, you know. And then you think in 19, I think it was 73 or 77, scientists literally had to plan that these four planets would align perfectly with each other so that Voyager 1 and 2 could literally bounce off each planet just to make it out of our galaxy because there wouldn't be enough fuel for them to carry that uh, you know journey out by themselves and yeah. if they'd missed that they would have to wait another 150 years before they could do that experiment again and then I'm it's like whoa, you just come back and you're like there are so many bigger things in the world. Yeah. Why am I looking at this girl? But the thing is, is what's amazing is now we can sort of process that because of the technical technological age. If we go back ten years ago, that would have been amazing. Go yeah. back ten years further. So the fact that these minds are coming up with these things, observing them when and other people are creating selfies, and you're like, are you? Yeah. Look at what's yeah. being missed here. You know. Yeah, and that's and I find that I fall into this hole, and I think we all do. I don't know if you do, but I feel like I do sometimes. I fall into the Instagram hole because that's just that society. That's that outer ring that's now having an impact on my direct life. But the minute I start reading again, and I read, I read quite a lot. Uh, I then forget about those things, and it's more like, wow, there are so many things in the world to know. There are, you know, why, why would you discount all of that? Bring your reality a little bit broader, and, and again, back to reality, your reality should 
I think, be a little bit broader and so that you can ex you know, explore more things because there are so many things that are waiting to be known, yeah. but you're laser focusing on social media. So when I get like that and when I get like, oh, I need to lose a little bit of weight or my, you know, this and, you know, we all do it. I just, I think, and I always do this. I think about that, that, that Voyager 2 that's currently <laughs> just left our Milky Way a couple of years ago, 2004. Yeah. And left, that was traveling for like 42 years. That's how long it took it. And like uh, 61,000 miles an hour. So 61,000 kilometers an hour or something. Like yeah, something ridiculous. It was like. Ten, uh, I can't even remember. Just, yeah, and 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 then and then yeah, and then I think you know what? There are bigger things. Than yeah, I mean, I uh, I I had a I had a Facebook rant after three days we'd been in lockdown. I had a Facebook rant. I know you're not on my Facebook. I'm known for my Facebook. I'm not on Facebook. Um, it's good. I, yeah, I had so many debates and stuff on Facebook. It's, oh, I, I love uh, that. Maybe I should get Facebook just for that. Yeah, I, uh, but I had one because. Um, Parents were on there saying, I've done no homework with my kid. It's ridiculous. How am I meant to do this? I'm like, I don't even know how to do this sort of maths. And I went down and I said, look, if you're, if you're trying to teach your kid, if you're trying to educate your kid and you're trying to follow the school curriculum, you're a fucking idiot. Like, yeah. say to your kid, right, my life now, I, I'm in a brilliant chance that I get to, to um, educate you. So what are we interested in? I like space. I like space too. I don't know anything about it. Get on YouTube or Google, pick a subject and educate both of you at the same time. It's so easy nowadays. It's so yeah. easy to just go and teach yourself about things. And there are so many online courses now as well. I mean, one of my friends, and I'll send you the link, uh, was saying how he wanted to learn about neuroscience because he, I think he said he thought of something that, oh, he had a dream where he thought about something that he doesn't remember seeing until he woke up and he thought, I, I haven't thought about that moment in my life ever, ever. So clearly that information was in there somewhere and my brain retrieved it in my sleep. <laughs> uh, and he was like, that just blew my mind. So I told him about this course. It's the University, the University of Chicago is doing a neuroscience course free for the, during the pandemic uh, for people to learn about neuroscience. Oh, great. That's, all I need. That's all I need is a free yeah. <laughs> That's me finished then. But yeah. it's amazing how the more access we have to things, the less we want to, you know, I guess if it's too easy, you, it's too easy. You're not going to yeah. want to do it. They're going to let you know it's there. Yeah, and it's too easy because there's so many options. I might do this, I might do that. I mean, I'm a, I'm a terrible procrastinator. I'm a terrible procrastinator. But, um, and also, look, I mean, I'm not saying people should be like me in the slightest. I can only use me as an example because I'm me, you know. But, um, relativity. So, yeah, relativity. Um, so I, during this lockdown, like, I don't, my TV doesn't go on before five. The only reason it goes on at five is because I watch the, the update, the parliamentary update I watch. Um, sorry. That's alright, you need to get that. No, I'm just checking it just to see if they urgently need me. Okay. No, I'm good at the minute. Um, yeah, so I check the parliamentary update just so that I can go on Facebook and moan about them. Um, <laughs> uh, so I do that. So my TV doesn't go on until five, but I write a lot. So I read a lot. I read at least a book a month, usually non-fiction. I, I don't really read much fiction. So I read about a book a month, and so I'm reading all day. I've been doing a lot of writing. So I've been doing that, and I've been doing a lot of podcasts. My TV doesn't go on before five, and then I watch TV. But the amount of people who are just churning through stuff, and I'm like, you're missing the most unique opportunity of our lifetime to do something, 
Like, do anything. I, I know there will be people will listen to this and because, oh, neuroscience, that sounds quite interesting. And they'll turn it off after and they'll never look at anything to do with neuroscience again. Or they haven't looked at it before and I'm like, man, now's your time. Like, yeah, well, on, grab I, it. I, there was someone who posted on my Instagram recently saying, um, if you don't get all the goals that you wanted to get done, done. I can't remember exactly how it was worded. It's not that you didn't have time. It's that you didn't have, um, I don't know, what's the word? Like, you didn't have the care. You didn't care enough. Yeah, you didn't have the drive. There we go. You didn't have the drive to do it, uh, which is true. But equally, um, I think a lot of people are getting stressed out about the fact that they feel like they have to do things. Um, So equally, I I do appreciate people that are maybe just taking this time to really just chill out. Because they might have stressful lives. They well, might even chilling out, start learn some meditation, learn some stuff that actually is helping you. Because if you're not in society or how yeah. we were five, six weeks yeah. ago, if you're not finding your time to chill out, find out ways now that you can carry that back when we go back to how we were. Learn how yeah. to meditate. Yeah, you know, do do stuff like yoga and stuff. Address that stuff. So even by doing nothing, do something. Yeah. That's what I think yeah. about it. I'm quite proactive, I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, right, so before we get going, I just want to know what are, where, how are you looking now when you're all finished up, qualify, how, what, what's your, in your mind's eye, your drive, where are you looking to take things, what are you looking to do? I'm not, I'm not 100% sure because I've been toying with the idea of doing graduate medicine, um, so I could potentially go down that route. Uh, but if I was to stay in neuropsychology, um, yeah, I think just being able to discover more uh, in terms of developmental uh, psychology and the impacts. And also, um, I think I'd really like to teach people about positive thinking. And I know that that sounds like, oh, you're just one of those people that's trying to be positive. But like, I think it's been shown that through long-term potentiation, negative thinking will and can you know, set itself in the brain. Um, and uh, like we said about, you know, social, the the ring that's coming in there, it shouldn't be there, it should be there. So I would like to, people to learn and I would like to educate on the impacts of that. Um, and I think it just, everything we've just spoken about ties in exactly what I think and what I believe in. So how we can become so narrow-minded towards uh, certain things like social media and forget that there are bigger things in the world, forget that the brain can learn and will learn and wants to learn. Um, so I, I guess um, as a neuropsychologist, it would definitely be looking at neurological side and psychological side of problems and, and, and being a bit more holistic, I think, in that sense. And rather than labeling people so alcoholic or whatever, there's a reason, there's always a reason. That, and I think that that's the why. The, the why is the fundamental the thing. The why. The yeah. why. Always if ask the why until there's no, you know, until you've got an answer. Because, oh, why do you do that? Because it's alcoholic. Okay, that's my answer. No, no, no. We just started. We've just started here. Why? Why? Everyone, why I think, yeah, everyone has a story. Everyone has something to say. And I think we need to learn to listen to each other a little bit more in society. And um, because, uh, like I said earlier, with with water you can either drown or you can put out a fire you can do either good or bad with that. the same with yeah. society you know society with interactions we as humans can either really uplift each other or really destroy each other you know you could potentially give someone ptsd by the way you behave with them yeah, or exactly. you could nurture them and lift them and 
Um, and I think Bristol is quite good in that sense. I do think we have a really nice sense of community. There's a lot of positive people that are just pushing each other to, you know, go a certain way. So I do feel really privileged to live somewhere like Bristol. Um, there's a lot of positivity and a lot of, um, you know, just community. I yeah, I think so. And I mean, like, we're privileged as well, like to have someone like yourself as well. I wanted you to come on, like the stuff that you, uh, the stuff that you put out. I mean, obviously, it's a bit arrogant to say, oh, it's the stuff that I enjoy. So I want to speak to you. But that's what it is. And yeah. hopefully people listen to this. And because people say, look, I'm not arrogant to assume that people want to listen to me. So I don't make these about me. And yeah. I try and talk about subjects that aren't my field like this, because people want to hear from you and you're so personable and you're so everything's so well put together but at the same time you're still a little bit wild in the stuff that you post you like ballet and you're you know you're not just someone who sat there with a tweet I do jacket the ballet on. and i do the yoga to kind of keep my crazy like in control yeah. i've got to have something you've to got to control the crazy you've got to control yeah, the crazy. don't let the crazy out no um yeah no i uh i think uh, so without being too like intrusive and ask you a bit of a, is, is money a big factor in that as in so would a neuropsychologist earn potentially a lot less than someone who went down a medical field is there not as um, much no actually i think someone in neuropsychology would probably earn more because you have the potent well i don't, I don't know actually because i suppose you could say the same thing for medicine but uh psychologists i do, do think eventually do get paid pretty well mm-hmm. um over 100k from what i've heard but I think you have the potential to, um, you know, have private clients, yeah. uh, which I suppose you could have in medicine as well. I'm not, I obviously want to earn good money. Um, yeah. I've always, I left home when I was 18 and I've always, uh, I came to Europe with one suitcase and I was like, cool, what am I going to do now? <laughs> um, so I've always found a way and I've always um, been quite good at um, finding, you know, good jobs and making myself comfortable in the areas i'm in so i, I do want to live a comfortable life i'm not money driven in the sense that like i would go down that route because it's money um, yeah i didn't want it to seem like you know i'm not i'm no, not saying no, 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 are you no, going to no. sell yourself out or anything but i mean obviously for me if if i'm in a situation where i can take two routes both of them are going to be helping each other uh, both of them are going to be helping others sorry so they're both going to help people they're both in fields that i like they're both within the um parameters of what i want to work this one earns 100 grand and this one earns 40. I mean, you have to say, yeah, yeah, well, I'm yeah. going to pursue. And this no, is more of a... I think both have the potential to earn quite good money. Yeah. Um, the only reason I wouldn't do medicine is because I'm already 28. So I'll be 30 when I qualify. No, 29 when I qualify. Um, and then I will probably do four years of medicine i'll be 33 and then you have to do your f1 and f2 uh junior doctor so f1 f2 and then you start specializing so i'll be 35 i'm probably going to have a kid somewhere then and then i'm probably going to have another kid somewhere uh, after that and then i just feel like i'm going to be 40 and still a junior doctor it just kind of makes me a little bit sad but at the end of the day you can't let we, th- we need you we need you like this is the thing like we need you and we need the way that you think the industry needs you the you. the science <laughs> needs you so i think uh like listen listen don't base your career on anything i say Mark. <laughs> <laughs> i'm someone who chose to get listen, punched in the face anyone who compl- compliments my brain i'm like thank you <laughs> i don't I, obviously i care what i look like but when someone is like you're very smart. I'm like, ah. Yeah, I mean, when people, when I used to be a doorman and people used to, like, chuckle around, like, yeah, you're bald with funny ears because they're cauliflower ears. I'm like, 
You can as long as you think I'm funny. That's all I care. Like all the matters. But the thing is, I've learned to understand is that you can't change what you look like, so you better come to terms with it because that is your face. And everyone who does change never ends up looking better. So and they never and they're probably still not happy. Exactly. You know. Um. So yeah. Um. But yeah. So I think I don't. I don't know exactly where. I, I think if I went down the medicine route, it would still maybe be around psychiatry and uh because the brain just blows my mind and the way we think and the way we do things and the impact that you know the world has on us is uh is really interesting i really hope you do um not because it's going to make you happy but just because we can have these every year or every couple of years we can have a catch-up and talk about it <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. Well, we can still have them i'm sure that i'll still learn along the way but um <laughs> Yeah, uh, neuropsychology, or you know, I always toyed with the idea of forensic psychology. Just I don't oh, know, I think down that, that, down that route, the brain just blows my mind, the psychology blows my mind. Yeah, I, um, I'm reading a book at the moment, nothing to do with psych- neuro- neuropsychology in any way, shape, or form. I'm reading a book at the moment, it's called Unnatural Causes, it's about a forensic pathology. Okay. He's a forensic pathologist, and it's all about his career as like all the postmortems he's done, all the autopsies he's done, starting from like back in the eighties. He um, yeah. he worked on cases where they had didn't even have um, DNA or fingerprinting uh, capabilities, and it follows him all the way through. And some of the stuff he's talking about, the way he tracks and the way a knife goes through organs, I'm I'm like Drew, this is amazing. It's science, yeah. like allowing you to do that, you know? Yeah, but, yeah. But hey, I can teach you how to throw a punch. So, Sorry? I can teach you how to throw a punch. So, <laughs> no, like... I've actually written down a bunch of things that you've said because um, they really did, um, yeah, want to continue reading about them. So if you have any book recommendations, I think it would be great if you could send them over. Yeah, definitely. So uh, is there anything, anyone you want to shout out, anything you want to mention, anything you haven't covered you want to talk about before we go? Or uh, No, I think, I think we've pretty much covered it all. I think, yeah, for me... Um, this has been really great. I'm really honoured. Um, when you asked me, I was like, Ooh. <laughs> "Oh, no, the honour is mine." Like, honestly, I, oh, I Nico, I swear to God, I could sit here for another two hours easily. I could as well. <laughs> I just, I just know the longer it goes, the people turn off. You know? So yeah, yeah, no, 100%. I think about an hour and a half is about perfect for people's attention span because they have things to do. Um, but I. Honestly, I feel like I could ring you again tomorrow and we could just boom. Yeah, well, we could, you know, we could do another one, you know, in a few weeks. Maybe we'll read more papers and more books and then come yeah. back and... <laughs> if you want to have a look at any of the impacts of CTE from brain uh, from tra- brain trauma and the way that that's meant... Because, obviously, I've been punched in the head a lot and lot that's manifesting itself a lot now, CTE. So, if you want to have a look at that and we can have a little talk about then feel yeah, free. Yeah, otherwise. CTE, like chronic, I forgot what it stands for now, chronic. Oh, sorry, is it a book though? No, 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 no. Oh, okay, yeah, okay. A, a brain disorder um, yeah. from impact. Will Smith yeah. film about it called you know, um, I think I read last year because I was um, talking to someone about homelessness in the UK before we yeah. log off real quick, um, that apparently over 50% of homeless people have had brain trauma, brain lesions, accidents. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, that would uh, be an interesting topic, yeah. Yeah, lots of American footballers have, like, killed their wives and stuff, and they've yeah. spread their brain afterwards, and they have CTE from concussion. Yeah, so, I'm not surprised, yeah. Yeah, if you, if you look at that, and, and if you find it interesting, by all means, message me and say, 
whereas that subject was boring. Well, just say like, oh, I love it. I really no, yeah, no, I will, I will. No, we should definitely do another one of these. I think it'll be great. We'll go and stock up on more information. <laughs> Perfect. Um, yeah. so listen, uh, I'm gonna put this out. I can, uh, I'll put your name and stuff on it. If you don't want people to follow you on Instagram and stuff, because you keep it personal, that's no, no, no. fine. If anything, I should probably make my Instagram a little bit less personal and more scientific. So this will be great. Yeah, lovely. Well. Thank you again. Honestly, no, you don't need to thank me. It's a pleasure. No, no, no. This has been great. Thank you so much for having me. <laughs> thank you. Stay there. I'll cut these lot off and then I'll yeah. speak to you separately. Okay. Thank you. <laughs>